Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles and Jeff Essery. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I'm Joe Rawls. And I'm Jeff Vessery. Thanks so much for listening. And quick reminder, if you have any questions about the Broncos, be sure to let us know at Cover 2 Broncos, at Jeffrey Essery, or at Joe Rowe underscore NFL on the Twitters. And um, today we'll be making a bit of a pivot. The 2020 season will be the second season with Vic Fangio's system on defense. And that's where we've been spending a lot of our time and breaking down uh, – Fangio's coverages and we've talked defensive line we'll talk linebackers here in a little bit but felt it was time to pivot a little bit and dig into Pat Shermer's offense and particularly since he's going to be installing it for the first time and there will be a lot of differences I think from what we saw last year and so we'll pivot a little bit and talk some offense yeah and I think as far as Pat Shermer's offense goes, at least from what I've seen, I don't think any position is really as impacted by the change from Scangarello to Pat Shermer as tight end is. So that seemed like a really good place to kind of start this. Uh, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I, I think Drew Locke is definitely going to be really, really impacted. But I think Noah Fant in particular, his role changes very drastically going from, like, the Scangarello offense to the Pat Shermer offense. Uh, and I, we've, we've both touched on this back when the hire was made, but essentially like no fan goes from trying to be George Kittle to try and be like the best version of Evan Ingram. 
in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, and I think the it's spot on to say that the tight end is going to be one of the most like affected positions by this, not only just from a schematic standpoint, but also just from a volume standpoint. Mm-hmm. You look at the target share between um, the tight end position in Pat Shermer's offenses over the last several years and compare that to what Denver saw with Noah Fant or Noah Fant saw under Rich Scangarello last year. And it's looking to be a, a large uptick in targets. I know we were just talking about that before we jumped on that Evan Ingram averaged about 8.5 targets per game when he was healthy. And Noah Fant only cracked eight targets twice last year. I think he averaged around four targets a game. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you may not see it go up as much because Denver has more options in the passing game than the Giants had over the last two years, particularly last year when Odell Beckham left. But I do think it'll we'll, he'll see an uptick just in general, particularly because of the quick passing game under Pat Shermer. And that's something that, you know, you and I have talked about a lot, Joe, is this there was this kind of I feel like it was a bit of a myth or people just not really understanding Pat Shermer's offense when he first came over of like oh now they're just going to start airing it out they're going to throw it deep and that's not really Pat Shermer's offense he's more of a quick game guy with strategic deep shots built in to stretch the field and so I think Noah Fant can play really well in that quick game and we saw Kyle Rudolph and Evan Ingram do that in the last three years under uh, Pat Shermer as well as really they built they they start with that quick game component and that's where they get a lot of their, the high volume stuff. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, I think it's kind of like almost the, the philosophy is kind of like the old school West coast offense where it's ball control. And you've talked about this before when we were going over Shermer's offense initially is that an eight yard completion is still, you're moving the ball. And if it's an easy completion, it's more efficient than running the ball and it's easy yards. And I think in that way, that will help Noah Fant because Noah Fant runs. He, he's really big. He's really athletic. And again, none of this is like breaking news, but that really shows up when I've been watching his tape that shows up in how well he can cut and he can create space for himself in a way that like say a Tim Patrick just can't. And that's not to hate on Tim Patrick, but he just, he's just not the athlete that Noah Fant is. Noah Fant's lateral mobility is really, really good. Like it's borderline elite. Um, and I do think with like more refinement to his route running, he could be really, really good in that way. And I think one thing that's really worth exploring is Pat Shermer really kind of helps like Pat Shermer's offense really helps you understand the difference between the two different tight end roles in a way that you don't necessarily see it the same, but quite to the same degree under Rich Gangarello, uh, under Rich Gangarello, like there's definitely H backs. There's definitely a tight end that's in line and like he'll move another tight end around. But under Pat Shermer, you definitely see it more where there's there's a traditional Y tight end. And that Y tight end is what you kind of picture. Like Rob Gronkowski is the best perfect example because he's probably the best ever to do it. But he's an inline tight end where he's a six foot six, very big. He blocks like an offensive lineman. And then he can also go up and catch passes. That's not necessarily Noah Fant's game, at least from everything I've seen of Noah Fant. Noah Fant is honestly like a big slot receiver. Um and he can block, he blocks okay, and he moves really well in space. But asking him to be like a George Kittle or a, a Rob Gronkowski, they're definitely plays, especially the Bears game. I went over the Bears game, and it's just it's kind of painful to watch him try and block Khalil Mack. Like, it's not really even fair to him. And it's just, it didn't look great. And I think by moving away from asking him to do that, he'll 
be able to better show the strengths of his game without being exposed as much with his weaknesses. Yeah, and I think when you look at, you know, we've talked about Evan Ingram being kind of the model, and he's kind of the extreme model, I think, because mm-hmm. oh, I forget what he weighs now. It, he's He's got to be only like 230, 240, I think. Yeah, he's small. Um, but he's like 6'3", 230, 240, and runs a 4'4", sub 4'5", and so he's the extreme example of a guy that who's essentially a glorified slot receiver, but Noah Fant does fit a little bit further into that continuum than your traditional inline tight end. And I think he'll thrive in more of that role as well that you saw, like how you saw Pat Shermer using Evan Ingram. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I guess if we're talking about the why, what we, what I would call and again, what Evan Ingram's technical position really is, it's called the F. And again, you know this, but I'm just saying for everyone listening. Um, and the F is kind of like, it's called like a joker, where it's essentially, it's like the tight end two, or it's like the move tight end. It's It tends to be the more athletic tight end. He's more of a receiver. Generally, he's maybe not quite as qualified as a blocker. You don't necessarily want him blocking lineback- like a lot of linebackers. Uh, but he's the guy you can get it out into space. You try and have him run the seams, try and threaten defenses vertically. Um, that's what Evan Ingram is asked to do in the Pat Schirmer offense quite a bit. And that's something that Noah Fant will get to do more of than he did under Rich Gangarello. Yeah, and the F tight end position too really fits from, uh, you can tell from Evan Ingram's standpoint. I, I charted this at one point, I forget the exact numbers, but the majority, when you look at the tape from Shermer's offense, the majority of the time Evan Ingram, even though he's the primary tight end or the number one, really the number one tight end on their roster, he's a detached from the line of scrimmage almost mm-hmm. all the, all of the time where you've got a guy in line and then he's attached to the, um, to the hip of him and they're moving him around in motion a lot of times before the snap too. And so he really, like if you, if you want to know the difference between those or really look at it, go look at how they used Evan Ingram in the giants the last two years. And I think that's how you, you, you could expect to see Noah Fant be utilized under uh, Pat Shermer here in Denver. And, and that's actually one of the reasons, since we're talking tight end in general, that's why they brought in Nick Vanette. And that's also one reason why I am kind of wondering if Jeff Harriman is going to stay on the roster because both of those players do fit the traditional Y tight end better than they do the move. And by having at least one of them and maybe two, depending on if they want to make sure they have depth there, uh, that gives them some versatility. So like no offense, not going to be required to move inside to play that in line. Um, because the, at least last year, cause I was watching quite a bit of 2019's tape. There are definitely plays where Evan Ingram's not even on the field. Uh, when Pat Shermer goes into traditional eyes, eye formation type stuff, and he has 21 personnel on the field. He used Caden Smith a lot of times. And Caden Smith was a six round rookie last year. And again, he's a wide tight end. He's a he's a six foot six, two hundred and fifty pound guy who essentially he's just asked to be a blocker and then just be an outlet receiver. That's Jeff Howerman. And that's what Nick Vanette, like everything I've seen from Nick Vanette's the same type of thing. Whereas you don't necessarily want to use Noah Fant that way. And that's not necessarily taking just your best player out the field. It's just using using a player that fits that role better and then saving Noah Fant for the plays where you're gonna be able to maximize him so he's more well rested. Yeah, and you can also you could also argue that with the additional like looks in eleven personnel or the more like shotgun spread it out type looks that there's going to be more just need for Noah Fant in that role anyway. And so even if he does come off the field in some more of those compact 
more tight running type formations, it, it's going to be probably minimal just from a formation standpoint of what you're going to see based on at least what you saw from Shermer over the last couple of years. One thing I wanted to look up just really quick is just the snap counts for Evan Ingram because that kind of could give us a decent idea of what Vance's uh, snap. Because again, I Ingram was taken off the field quite a bit during those situations. And again, Pat Shermer doesn't go into 21 personnel very often, but I did notice that through the, the early games of the year when Engram was playing, they did take him off the field for those plays quite a bit, unless they had two tight ends on the field. But whenever they brought in a fullback and they only had one tight end, more often than not, Engram was taken off. But even still, he played 76% of the snaps or more, except the last game, the Dallas game last year where he got hurt. Um, so he played 76% of the snaps in every game he was healthy or more, even though he was taken off in like pure, obvious running situations where he only had one tight end. Yeah, and you look at Kyle Rudolph's stats, and he it's a similar story in terms of not him coming off the field, but the utilization is he had between 80 and 90% utilization before he um, was injured in the last couple games. He was kind of on and off the field over the last couple games in Minnesota. That last year, the Pat Shermer was there in 2017. Every other game, it was in the 80s and 90% his utilization. And so I think the one thing, I mean, I don't, I don't think with Fant, you're going to have to worry about signaling to the other team that you're running it by having him on the bench or bringing somebody else in just because he did prove that he can play a little bit of that inline role. I mean, he wasn't mm-hmm. a slouch blocking um, from what I saw. I think, I think Hireman did a better job, um, but he wasn't terrible under Rich Scangarello. And so I think you could probably get by if you wanted to, you know, not signal to the defense every time that you're going to run the ball and take Noah Fant out. But even if they do sub him out in some of those bigger packages, I do still think he'll see, his snap share won't be, it's not going to be affected too much. And the target share will more than make up for it. So one thing I want to ask you, and and I kind of, uh, I've kind of bugged you about this a little bit leading up to this, but I guess uh, knowing how no offense role is going to change. I think that's going to help him a lot. And I think that combined with the fact that rookie tight ends typically just have a super hard time transitioning to the NFL. Anyway, I think he's headed for a breakout. I'm pretty excited to see what this year brings for him as long as he kind of makes the jump that I expect him to make. Um, but what do you think? Like, what do you think, A, of what his rookie year was? And then also, what do you think we should expect from him going forward? Yeah, I think both of those could be answered really with the the one big thing that I still want to see from Noah Fant. And you can call it ball skills or you can call it contested catch um, situations, but I want to see him win in those areas. And that was the big area that he didn't win last year. Some of those, it, it wasn't necessarily as many like pure drops. Like we saw Cortland Sutton struggle with drops at the very at beginning of his career. It was less of that in my mind. And it was more of kind of getting out, out muscled a little bit at the catch point or just not showing that natural ability to high point the ball and put yourself in the best position. So it wasn't always like being out physical, but it was just not physically putting yourself in the best position. And so, you know, you know whether you call that ball skills or contested catch ability, just his ability to go up and high point the ball. And that really shows up in the red zone because that's the biggest kind of money-making area for tight ends. So there's, there's kind of a positive and negative side on this to me is Noah Fant had a good, what I would consider a good rookie year. And he didn't touch the ball 
in the between the 10 yard line between the um in the one to 10 yard line range on opponents goal lines and that's like money making zone for a tight end like Noah Fant was the opposite of the Melvin Gordon stats where we said Melvin Gordon just inflated his numbers by getting so many touches in the red zone Noah Fant I looked it up. We were talking about this right before we jumped on the pod. Um, Noah Fant had an 11% catch rate in the red zone and zero catches uh, from the goal line from the 10 on. Um, and that was the worst in the league. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll get to, I, I know you went through and dug into those individually. I think there's a bigger story there. And so it's not all indicative of Noah Fant being poor in that area, but whether it was utilization, the targets were poor quality mixed with Noah Fant's, um, lack of contested catchability but that like that's where you have to win as a tight end you look at the target share and the um main particularly touchdown production of guys like kyle rudolph and evan ingram even under pat Shermer, but then even guys like travis kelsey all of them are within the like 70 percent of their touchdown production it's coming inside is coming from inside the the goal line like that in the red zone uh, well, that's where you're getting your touchdown production and that's where you're getting the those high quality looks as well and their catch percentage i mean travis kelsey didn't have a great catch percentage last year it was like 35 percent um, but most of the guys are hanging out in the 50 to 60 percent catch percentage range within the red zone and so for no offense to be 11 percent, he caught one pass in the red zone all year it was a 14 yard touchdown so yeah i think that's the biggest area like it's not necessarily the red zone, but the skill set that he needs to develop is what you would use in the red zone. So the fact that he had such a great season without that, without like the main money making area that you count on for a tight end to me is a positive because mm-hmm. it means he has a, a large area to grow and could really explode his numbers in that regard. But I, I've got to see more from him in that area this year, particularly to really um, see him break out. I think when we talked about it before, you told me he had nine nine uh, targets within the red zone. Yeah, which is that seems really small considering that again, tight ends typically that's what you're trying to use your tight end for is kind of like bully ball situations. Uh, so that in and of itself to me is one. It might be damning for Scangarello about the fact that he just didn't scheme up a lot of touches for Bant in the red zone. Also, it might be a sign that Scangarello and or the Broncos offense just didn't see the skill set where they wanted to dial up those kind of plays for him. And, and then when I looked at the plays, uh, and, and this is kind of like where you and I kind of branch off a little bit is I do think Noah Fant definitely does need to improve in this area. I think for how, how big a mismatch weapon he really is from a physical standpoint, he didn't always play up to it. The Vikings game really highlights this uh, because that's the game where he got the most targets. But the one thing with the Vikings game that's also worth kind of keeping in mind is he had Brandon Allen throwing on the ball and Brandon yeah. Allen's out of the NFL now. Uh, I, and I don't expect Brandon Allen to end up back in the NFL. And I don't mean that as a, like to be a, a jerk, but he's not very good. And when you go back and you look at like Joe Flacco's first eight games of the season, Joe Flacco only targeted Noah Fant in the red zone twice last year. And the first one was in the Oakland game, the first Oakland game of the year, the pass was deflected. So like that, that I don't, I don't blame Noah Fant for that. Obviously like that's not on him. And the second one uh, was the Colts game. And I actually posted this on Twitter. And you and I have discussed it before because you posted it back when it happened. A lot of people want to blame Noah Fant for it. But Joe Flacco was so late with that pass that 
like I could have played defense on that pass. <laughs> and I'm five foot eight. Like I'm not I'm not athletic at any means, but he was so late on the pass. No fan was basically out of bounds before the ball was in the air. Um and again, I'm not trying to make excuses for him. Cause I do think he does need, he has things he needs to prove on. I'm not as sold on his blocking as I think you are. Uh, I am quite concerned about that. If he ends up getting asked to block edge players, uh, just because again, like I think he improved at it. And I know that people say like, Oh, he went to Iowa. He can't be that bad at blocking, but there's a difference between being like a passable blocker in when a coordinate, like you should not ask Noah Fant to block like Daniel Hunter of, or Everson Griffin or Khalil Mack. And the Broncos did that last year, and he got exposed quite a bit by it. And hopefully Pat Shermer doesn't do that. Uh, but I definitely did see Pat Shermer ask Evan Ingram to block edge players a few times. So it is something I'm concerned about. But I do want to see him improve at using like his body. And I also think there's a couple plays. Uh, and I want to go back over the Chiefs game because I, I, I've seen people mention that, that he had three drops in the Chiefs game. So I want to go back and like really kind of dissect those. But... Part of it is there's a couple different plays where Joe Flacco doesn't step into throws. And this isn't the Chiefs game. This is just in general that I noticed when I was watching the first three games I've studied. Joe Flacco doesn't always step into throws when he feels pressure. And what ends up happening is the ball will sail on him because he just doesn't step into it. And then at that point, uh, I think it was the Jaguars game where Noah Fant technically, like, the ball hits him in the back. And everyone blamed Noah Fant for it because he should have slowed down to catch it. But he's looking up for the ball, and the ball's behind him. And in, in in like stuff like that, like, again, it looks comical. And on broadcast footage, it's really easy to say like, oh my God, like this is comical. It's his fault. But when you kind of like go back and look at like all the parts that made the play, there's a lot of times where it's like, I don't know necessarily if it's his fault. I do think he needs to improve. I'm not saying he's blameless in it, but as a receiver, you can only do so much when the quarterback short arms the ball. Yeah. I think there is an argument to be made and I would agree with it that the quality of targets, those nine targets within the red zone were poor. And, you know, in, in evidence of that is Cortland Sutton had 19 targets and he was one of the top in the league in the red zone in terms of target share, but he only had 47, a 47% catch rate. And mm -hmm. for a receiver, that's pretty low. That's pretty low for most of the receivers that were in that high um, target range in the red zone. And so, it, it kind of does indicate that there was a quality problem as well, but still, you know, aside from the quality issues to have the lowest, I think it's literally. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, like I said, I, I think, I think there's definitely a lot there. It's a lot to unpack. It's, it, it's, there's multiple facets at play. Cause I think the quarterback play is a situation. I think Scangarello, some of the designs weren't necessarily helpful. I also think there was two. And then again, this is me. I, I'm probably one of the most critical people of Joe Flacco of anybody I know. And I was from the start. There's a play in the Packer game where Joe Flacco takes a sack that I know for a fact, Noah Fant was open. He should have had him. Uh, and there, I know there's one other play. I saw that too. I just can't remember what game now off the top of my head. So like th those are a factor as well, but that said, Noah Fant definitely needs to improve too, because Noah Fant can only control himself. And there's definitely plays where he had the fumble in the Packer game. That was, that was a bad play. He did have a drop in the, in the, the first Kansas city game. That was a drop. Um, so again, like he's not blameless. He also had a couple different penalties last year that someone were just dumb penalties. And again, he's a rookie and rookie tight ends are typically usually pretty bad. Um, but like, there's a reason for hope, I guess. Cause I know a lot of people are trying to throw around bust with Noah Fant already. And I think that's way, way too soon. Um, 
just from a numbers stamp. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I mean, no, yeah. I mean, I think to, and just to like level set with that, like I'm really excited about Noah Fant. I think he'll, I think he'll vastly improve in Pat Shermer, like from a production standpoint, just by nature of being plugged into Pat Shermer's offense. Because I think the skill set that Pat Shermer will ask from him outside of the red zone in between the 20s really fits Noah Fant well. So if you look at his stats from last year, he was top three in the league um, for yak uh, yards um, after catch per reception. He had, he was averaging 8.5 yards um, after the catch per reception. And so that's the majority. I mean, that's when you look at his, um, I'm trying to pull it up right now to see what his raw, um, just raw total of yards per reception was. So let's just do some quick math. Norse. So he averaged 14 yards per catch and 8.5 of that came after the catch. So six, so more than, more than 50%. So eight of his um, 14 yards per reception were coming after the catch. So he's an after the catch monster from um, athletically, but then also the performance on the field. And some of that, you know, obviously you saw those, you had those couple big plays like the big screen touchdown and the big 75 yard touchdown against the Browns that, um, inflate those a little bit, but those were some good moves that Noah Fant made. And so I do think he fits really well into Pat, how Pat Shermer used Evan Ingram. There's some really good screens that I like um, that Pat Shermer ran with Ingram last year. I think he incorporates him. We've talked a lot about um, Pat Shermer liking the slant flat concept, the curl flat concepts. I think you know whether he's split out in the slot or he's kind of that move guy in motion, I think that fits really well for him to just do a quick a quick flat route or um, quick out routes to um, take advantage of that quick game that Pat Shermer likes to do and get the ball in his hands and just let him go to work. And so I think between the twenties, he will extremely improve over last year's numbers. And I'm really excited for him. I think the next facet of his game is going to be, is going to have to be where tight ends typically make their money. And that's within the red zone or that's kind of their, that, um, the sweet spot for them. And we talked about this right before we got on Like, I think you could probably point to some tight ends who stuck around in the league, who only made a name for themselves or only stuck around in the league by being those kind of short yardage bully ball type guys. I'm thinking of like the Jason Wittens or it's been like, I don't want to smear Antonio Gates, but you look at like Antonio Gates, the latter part of his career, he wasn't doing a ton after the catch. It was more throw the ball up to him. And he was you know really, really good at that as being a mismatch. And so you look at guys like that who didn't necessarily have the big athletic component to their game, but they made it on just on their catching prowess and contested catch ability and catching traffic and being a reliable guy in the red zone. Whereas I don't, you don't see a lot of guys, I mean, maybe, you know, Evan Ingram could probably fit in that category, maybe David Njoku, but you know, he's looking to be traded and it really hasn't been that good. And I can't really think of other guys that didn't have that component, but did have the athletic component like a fan and -hmm. continued to to progress in the league. And so I think in order for Fant to stick around, he's got to develop that side of his game a little bit. Well, and the one, the one player that comes to mind for me now that I'm now that like, we're thinking about it again is Eric Ebron and Eric Ebron was a, oh, yeah. a, a, Eric Ebron was a bust until he had like the one good season with Andrew Luck. 
And then last year, he kind of disappointed before now he's going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I do think that Noah Fant definitely does have to get better at that part of his game. And that was one of the big questions for him coming out of Iowa was that he had some drops on his tape where basically people got in his, got in his space and he just couldn't bring it in. Uh, so I do think that like, if like, if we're talking like from a Madden standpoint, like his catch in traffic is a concern. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's like a hands issue. I think it's a concentration issue. And I don't think he likes, I don't think like when he's going to catch a ball, he doesn't want to get hit. And again, I don't think any receiver wants to get hit. So I'm not trying to like smear him, but I do think that's an area where he has to improve because I think as a tight end, when you're playing in those tight situations, that is a thing that's going to happen. And well, and just looking at his size, I mean, that's what you want to use him for too. He is such a mismatch if he can figure that out. And I think, um, you know, working with a guy like Cortland Sutton who makes his money doing that kind of stuff could be really mm-hmm. helpful. Or even, you know, and we're going to talk about some of the other tight ends on the roster here in a minute, but you look at what Albert um, Okwebunam did with Drew Locke and his red zone prowess. And that's, he's almost the anti-fant in that regard in terms of like, Drew Locke was just throwing it up to him. I mean, he, he caught all his touchdowns on fade balls um, or in traffic in the red zone. And so, I, I do think it's interesting that Denver has a guy like that that could potentially make some noise in the red zone and Noah Fant be the guy between the twenties. I'm not saying they'll necessarily like split the, the snaps that way, but from a skill set perspective, at least Denver has rounded out the tight end room a little bit. Well, I actually, I could see Albert O getting a lot of touches like that because Pat Shermer does like fade routes. Uh, I could see both Cortland Sutton and Albert O getting a decent amount of chunk plays off those because both of them, that is the strength of their game. Uh, I do, I like, we said this last year with Noah Fant. I know there's a lot of hype for Albert O right now, based on the fact that like Drew Locke's roommate, their buddies, he's such an athlete, athletic freak, but like, again, he's a rookie tight end. So don't expect too much just because that transition to the NFL for rookie tight ends. We just saw it with Noah Fant. It's really, really hard. Um, to give you a little bit of perspective for the fact that like everyone considered Noah Fant a bust for the first part of the last year. There are 35 tight ends in NFL history dating back to 1922. There are only 35 tight ends who have 500 or more receiving yards in their first season. Wow. Only one has ever exceeded 1,000 receiving yards, and that was uh, Ditka. And then Fant's three touchdowns, even though like we, we were just poo-pooing him, and like I think rightly so, he should have had two more. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Noah Fant's three touchdowns are tied for eighth best all-time for rookie tight ends. Wow. So, like, I think Albert O is going to find a role on the offense next year because I do think he is kind of the future as the Y. 
but I think he's going to have to transition into like being that guy. I do think Noah Fant will receive more contested catch situation opportunities just because Drew Locke is the kind of quarterback who isn't afraid to give his receivers chances. Like he's going to let that, he's going to put the ball up and let his guys go get it. Good or yeah. bad. Yeah. And from a skill set perspective, when you look at Denver's, like what they're building right now, it's funny to say that they, you know, they really do have with, with adding KJ Hamler and Jerry Judy, they've kind of rounded out the receiver position and they've got the speed with Hamler. They've got the separation ability with Judy. And then they've got Cortland Sutton, who's your main number one guy. But when you get down in the red zone, things get compressed. And a guy like Hamler, I mean, he's got the quicks, but you know, he's not running over the top of anybody at the, you know, in, inside the 20. And so you guys just have to win different ways. And so I do think Denver does need a guy to emerge. And I'm not saying that can't be a guy like Hamler or Jerry Judy or even a you know receiving outlet like a Melvin Gordon or Philip Lindsay. But you can't just rely on Cortland Sutton to be your go-to guy in the red zone. Another guy has to emerge, I think. And I think Noah Fant or maybe Albert O could be those guys. I think those are the two guys that you're looking for if you're Pat Shermer to say, you've got to step up in this area because we need another guy to really just go up and get the ball and win one-on-one in these contested catch situations. Again, not saying Jerry Judy can't be that guy, maybe on the inside or even on the outside. Um but I do think it just with the size of Fant and Albert O for them not to be in consideration for that is a miss. One thing I, I kind of expect Shermer to do more of than we saw last year. And, and I touched on this a little bit on Twitter a couple days ago is we, we've talked about it before. Pat Shermer likes to use 11 personnel a lot. And then his second most utilized personnel grouping is 12 personnel with two tight ends. But a lot of times what ends up happening is what he'll do is he'll use a formation that looks like 11 personnel with three receivers, but he'll actually have a second tight end as one of those receivers. And I think that is something that we'll see more of with Noah Fant in the red zone is like KJ Hamler or Deshaun Hamilton will give way to Noah Fant where he'll be the slot. And all of a sudden Denver will have either Jerry Judy or Tim Patrick as one of those outside receivers, Colton Sutton, and then you'll have Noah Fant and either Alberto, Jeff Harmon, or Nick Vanette. And in that way, they'll have a lot of size and they'll have a good bit of athleticism. Yeah, so you mentioned those additional guys. Um, who do you think ends up being the the final, is it you know four, is it five tight ends mm-hmm. on the roster? I think it's going to be four. Uh, everything, uh, unless the roster kind of getting bigger means that they'll now carry five, but through the last three years, when I looked at uh, Pat Shermer's like roster constructions, he tends to carry four tight ends or like three tight ends and an H back F- uh, fullback type. So I, I do think Nick Vanette, they just signed him. Uh, it costs too much money to probably cut him. So like, I think they signed him with the idea that he's definitely playing. Noah Fant, he's obviously not going anywhere. I don't think Albert O is going anywhere unless he's just a complete bust. And I don't think he's going to be a complete bust. Uh, so I think at that point, the competition probably comes down to Jeff Harriman or Andrew Beck. And I think that depends on if Pat Shermer views one of the other tight ends is capable of playing that fullback spot, or if it's even valuable to have that guy. Um, If so, I think Andrew Beck gets the nod over Jeff Harmon, because I do think Andrew Beck adds that H-back versatility that Harmon doesn't necessarily have in the same way. But I do think if he wants a Y and a proven Y, Jeff Harmon, I know his stats weren't great last year, but Jeff Harmon, he was better than like people give him credit for last year. He was a solid tight end. Like, I, mean, I was actually really surprised when they signed Nick Vanette because I think Jeff Harmon's better than him. Yeah, I thought Jeff Harmon had a good year last year. Um, 
to your point, like, you know, his stats didn't look great, but when you look at some of the things he did in the blocking game, he was much better than Noah Fant in the blocking game. And mm-hmm. a lot of the, you know, he and Fant doubled up on the, the same side in the run game or uh, releasing out in some of those play actions. I mean, they did some work in the run game, just at you know, those two guys on double teams and move. I mean, he's single-handedly moving defensive ends off the ball in the run game at times. And so, I think keeping Jeff Hireman, you know, it's it's not a long-term move because he's in his last year of his contract. But um, I think if he's able to stay healthy, he does add, so you know, he adds that veteran presence. And I think he would round out the tight end room if you end up if you keep Fant, Alberto, and Nick Vanette. But with them signing Vanette, it may seem it, it sounds like they may they may replace Hireman with him. Um, I mean, I like what Beck did last year, too, in kind of that eight-back, full-back position. And you don't really have anybody on the roster now that Janovich is gone to fill that position. And so, you know, I think that's a that's a consideration. And then we haven't even talked about Denver's two draft picks from the last couple of years, Troy Fumagalli and Jake Butt, who, you know, Butt has shown a little bit of flashes or some potential, but you know, poor guy just can't stay healthy, which I, I feel for him because you, you just, you want to see him on the field, but I don't think there's with drafting Alberto and signing Nick Vanette. I mean, they added two tight ends this year. There's just not enough room on the roster for those guys. Well, and, and I think both, like, I think Jake Butt's situation, I think you hit the nail on the head of the fact that he just can't stay healthy. And I hope he can get healthy whether it's in Denver or elsewhere, I want him to like go on to have a good career. Like I was really, really excited when Denver drafted him because I, I, I'm a Michigan fan. I watched him at Michigan. He was really good. He got hurt in a bowl game. He just hasn't been able to get back to like fully healthy. Like that injury just completely derailed his career to this point. That said, he's been injured enough. Like if you're a coaching staff or like Elway, like you can't plan on him being available. Like you can't count on it. Like there comes to a certain point where availability is a skill, like to, to some degree, whether you can blame him or not. Um, and then I think as far as Troy Fumagalli goes, I think it's just, he, he was drafted two coaching staffs ago. So it's, it's one of those things where I just think the coaching staff that they brought in, like they wanted their guy, they saw Alberto is a good fit with Locke. And I, and I think that will end up impacting, uh, I know everyone was really excited about Austin Fort last year out of Wyoming. He had some moments and then he just got hurt. I think if he, if he comes back and he's able to like kind of show those flashes again, he could be like a practice squad guy that they try and like slip onto the practice squad. But I just think that there's just too many investments into tight end for, unless they carry five for it to be anything other than those four, maybe five. Yeah. And I could see the argument potentially being the fact that Noah Fant is enough of a receiver that you, you're, you've got a hybrid kind of receiver tight end in Noah Fant keeping maybe a fifth. Um, tight end in Andrew Beck that plays another hybrid role in terms of a fullback. So you're kind of cheating on the edges a little bit. So maybe you don't carry, I mean, Shimmer typically carries, I think what, like six receivers. Mm -hmm. So maybe you're carrying five receivers and five tight ends and you're, you're expecting, but you know, I don't know that that necessarily fits with Pat Shermer's kind of ethos from a personnel standpoint, because he's in 11 personnel and even in four wide receivers so much. So I do think we'll probably see it locked in at six and four from a receiver and tight end standpoint. But I think that could be a potential consideration is that Beck maybe squeaks on because of his versatility with the fullback kind of H back role. Yeah. And and they could see Noah Fandis like essentially a tight end receiver hybrid in that right. way that 
and and we talked last week with Coach O, like those players are becoming more and more valuable. That's that's a whole other thing that we didn't actually talk about at all yet. Um, but just kind of like a random thought. I know analytics will tell you that tight ends drafting them in the first round tends to be pretty bad. But I think one thing that could separate Noah Fan, and again, this is all like contingent on him developing in like the Pat Shermer offense is that essentially he's not playing just tight end. He's playing tight end and receiver. And in that way, he could be valuable enough to make that completely worth it. So like, I wouldn't totally like worry about that. Um, I just, I, I had people ask me that before. Um, so I do think like those kind of players are valuable in and of themselves. Um, as far as the roster construction goes, I do hope that Denver carries at least six receivers just because again, I think receivers just that valuable. Uh, I think if they take a position, like take from any other position, I hope it's either, I hope it's probably a quarterback three, just because like if Denver loses Drew Locke, their season's probably over anyway, or like maybe a, like a, a fourth running back. Like, I don't really want to carry a fourth running back if they're not going to carry a fullback, just because again, like your fourth running back at that point, you could probably stash that guy in the practice squad and he's going to give you as much as some of these other players. Whereas like, you don't want to afford to lose like a six receiver or an Andrew Peck if you can keep him. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I, I do think the running back position, and I know like as things get a little closer, we'll probably do a, a full breakdown on who to keep and who not to keep and stuff. But yeah, early look, I think I would agree with you on that regard. In terms of the tight ends in the first round, I do think, I mean, it, it always varies. And like the NFL nowadays is changing, I think, um, enough. I mean, you look at the Kansas City Chiefs and the money that they paid to Travis Kelsey – and I mean, I would totally drop Travis Kelsey in the first round at this Same. point again, because he's not, I mean, he's their number one receiver in, mm-hmm. from a target share standpoint, from a production standpoint, Tyreek Hill is the second, you know, speedster guy. Travis Kelsey is the number one guy on that offense. And so it's how you utilize them. So I and, think the, the old, the old kind of position groups of, Oh, this is a tight end. You don't you don't draft them in the first round. It all depends on how you utilize them. And no offense, certainly has that skill set to potentially be a guy that you would utilize heavily like that. And and that's and we'll probably talk about this more when we get to receiver. Um, and we've touched on this a few other times in the past. Is that in the NFL today, because you can be a specialist on offense the way you can, because you can sub people in and out. A lot of times, you don't necessarily have to draft or have a full receiving core of perfect all around receivers ideally you have like one receiver that can kind of be like the do it all type of guy. And Denver has that with Cortland Sutton to most, like in most ways, ideally if no fan develops, he'll give you that as a receiver. Um, I don't know if he'll ever be like a blocker you can necessarily win with. I think he can be a passable blocker, but I don't know if he can, he's ever going to be like, he's never going to be George Kittle. Like George Kittle is the best blocking tight end in football today. Unless Rob Gronkowski comes back and he's beefy like he was before. Uh, but that said, like Denver has the potential with Noah Fant and Cortland Sun together to have a really dynamic receiving core. And then obviously you add in Jerry Judy and those guys. But the other thing is the system matters so much for tight ends and how you're used. And Pat Shermer's offense in a lot of ways looks like the Andy Reid offense. It's different. It's not the same. But one thing that's going to change a lot with Pat Shermer coming on is Noah Fant's going to be used a lot more often on the backside of three-by-ones. And we've talked about this a bunch is – that's a nightmare for defenses to, to deal with if you have a tight end who actually is a real threat like that. And Pat Shermer used Evan Ingram to like really torture some people on some of the tape I've seen. And again, Noah Fant gives the athleticism and again, his lateral cuts like for ins and out routes is good enough already that so long as he continues on that track of development, 
having him on one side of the formation by himself as a, as a mismatch for either linebacker, safety, or corner. And then on the other side of the field, you have Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, and KJ Hamler or Deshaun Hamilton or Tim Patrick. That's going to be a lot for defenses to deal with. And it also helps if you motion to that or motion in or out of that, it gives Drew Locke an idea of what the, what they're doing already. Like it gives you the cues for what the defense is trying to do. So the potential is there for Noah Fant, even if his stats don't necessarily blow up in like the 1200 yard range for him to be a really, really vital component to the Broncos offense. Yeah, I agree. And I, and, and we said this when Pat Shermer first came is I think the guy that will benefit most, the player on Denver's team at the time that would benefit most from Pat Shermer coming over would be Noah Fant. I mean, you could probably add, are you Drew Locke is going to be the guy that you would hope would benefit the most from that. But he was, you could argue that he's also was on an upward trajectory before Pat Shermer came over. Whereas, um, you know, I think Noah Fant, based on the scheme and the way that Pat Shermer will use him, has the potential to take the biggest leap in a second year under Pat Shermer. Agreed. I'm really excited for Noah Fant. I think the Broncos tight end group, like it's it's relatively unproven in the fact that like it's very young and or it's a lot of role players. But the fact that Denver invested so heavily in tight end, I'm happy with that because I think the NFL as a whole is trying to move towards more 12 personnel. Denver has a coach who has proven that he knows what he's doing with tight ends. He knows how to maximize them. Denver has the, the pieces in place for him to run his system as well as he possibly could, as long as those players continue to develop, stay healthy. Um, so, like, I think the sky is kind of the limit as far as no fan. Like, this is the scheme that, like, ideally fits him. Like I always kind of wondered about him being George Kittle. This fits him better. Um, it's almost like, and again, to simplify, it's like in Madden when you can change your scheme in Madden, like the new Madden where you have like a vertical offense or a zone running offense. Denver now fixed it. So like it actually fits Noah Fant better. So I'm excited. Um, that's one of the reasons like I was so keen on talking about this because I really wanted to look at Noah Fant's tape anyway. Um, I hope you guys are as excited as we are. Uh, and we'll kind of get back to you next week about something else.